Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. The probability of any one particular person being born in Bethlehem, you have to then consider the populations, not only of Bethlehem, but of all of the earth during the time of Micah's prophecy until the timing, literally, of Stoner's book being written. Now, in the midst of that, he brings the probability of just saying, this individual, this Messiah, is going to be born in Bethlehem. The possibilities, the probabilities of that, fairly simple. 7,150 to 2 billion. For those of you who like odds, you're in for a treat today. There is some math surrounding the prophecies of the coming of Jesus Christ. Friends, it is utterly astounding. Today, Pastor David will share some insights from a book where a mathematician tries to give us some sense of the sheer magnitude of what our Lord accomplished. The data is plain. It is completely impossible for someone to do the things that Jesus did. The amazing truth is that history proves that he did everything he said he would. Now here's Pastor David with part one of today's message, God's Love Manifested. Well, we come this week to the, uh, the fourth week of Advent. As I shared earlier, uh, Advent really ends on Christmas Eve as we celebrate the birth of Christ. And as I've shared with you in the past, we know that Jesus most likely was not born on December 25th. It's a day that we now choose to celebrate his birth. You can put all the other things about that day and everything. I've heard all the lines. I've known them for years and years about, again, all the pagan celebrations and stuff. And I understand that fully. I've heard it for years. But that's one of the other reasons about this this whole focus of Advent is to get us toward the point that, no, we are celebrating the gift that God gave us through the sending of His Son in human flesh. We're here this fourth week. The fourth candle is now lit. And again, each week that we've uh, looked at this, we've shared different aspects of the coming of Christ. We lit a different candle each week to show us the impact of the message of Christ, the ministry of Christ, the promises of God, both leading toward that first advent, as well as the assurity of the promises that are yet to take place for us at his second advent. I've shared with you, we we don't have our candles in a circle this year. We have them in that line which speaks of eternity past that God intercepted our lives at the 
coming of Christ, and also as it moves on to eternity future, there's a great hope that yet awaits us who stand in belief and in faith in Christ. And so that's why we're doing what we're doing this uh, this Christmas season. All four of these now lit on, on Christmas Eve, we'll light the fifth candle. And someone said, well, where's the fifth candle? Haven't you made it yet? No, the fifth candle is going to be our cross. And with many of the names of Jesus, and as you look at that, you realize that's not all the names of Jesus. No, books can be written about all the names of Jesus. These are just a few. And the reason I wanted to use this cross as that fifth candle is because, again, it brings us to the reality of why that baby came in a manger. He came in a manger to go to a cross, And that was the purpose and the reason for his coming. It wasn't a failure on God's point. It wasn't a mess up somehow that Satan got one over on God. No, he came to be crucified. And on Christmas Eve, yeah, we're going to have the cross lit up on Christmas Day, the cross lit up as we again celebrate not only the fullness and the completeness of God's gift of sending Christ that first time, but also the fullness and the completeness of what we have faith in, what we walk in anticipation of, and that's his soon second coming. That first week when we looked at the prophecy candle, the prophecy candle also known as the candle of hope, it was a time of sharing about that hopeful anticipation of all of those prophetic messages that had come, and many of the people who lived in Israel at that time had read those messages. There were some that were already looking for the consolation of Israel. They were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, uh, because they had read the prophetic messages, they believed on it, and they were living in that current anticipation. Well, I want to revisit that prophecy candle a little bit this morning, and my thanks go out to a ministry called the Lamb and the Lion Ministry. Uh, they've supplied information that's actually been available for many, many years, but I was actually able to find it through their website. It comes from an article that was written by a fellow by the name of David Reagan, and he is quoting from a book by um, a mathematician and a Christian by the name of Peter Stoner. Now, you're going to have to bear with me on this, because in the midst of this, there's going to be a lot of numbers, there's going to be a a lot of uh, uh, statistics that I'm going to share with you, and for a little bit, you might look at that and say, oh man, this is like so lame, and this is so boring, I hate math, I didn't come here to go to school, uh, at least not to a math class. But if you'll bear with it for a little bit, hopefully at the end of what I share in reference to Peter Stoner's book, uh, hopefully it will excite you of the reality and the truth of what God has done and what his promises are. Peter Stoner wrote a book a number of years ago by the name of Science Speaks. It was published in 1958. I was just a puppy at that time. Uh, 1958. It was, it was printed by Moody Press. Uh, since then, there's been one revision of the book. That was in 1976. And the, the, the book deals specifically with prophecy and probability. Prophecy and probability. Now, for those of you that have engineering minds or math minds, uh, you'd you'd love this book. You'd be able to read it and really enjoy it. But uh, again, I think hopefully for all of us, we're going to be able to glean from what he shares with us. Now, Stoner was no novice in this whole area of probability and statistics. He served as the chairman of mathematics and astronomy uh, in Pasadena, 
Pasadena City College until 1953. At that point in time, he moved to Westmont College in Santa Barbara, California, and there he served as the chairman of their science division. And it was at that time when he wrote this book, he was actually serving as the professor emeritus of science at Westmont. Now, in that 1976 uh, edition uh, and revision of that book, there was a foreword in there by, the, by, by a man the name of Dr. Harold Hartzler. Now, Harold Hartzler was an officer with the American, Science, American Scientific Affiliation. Now, he wrote that the manuscript of Stoner had been carefully reviewed by a committee of his organization, the American Scientific Affiliation. And he said, quote, the mathematical analysis included is based upon principles of probability which are thoroughly sound, unquote. And then later he further stated that in the opinion of the American Scientific Affiliation, Professor Stoner, quote, has applied these principles in a proper and a convincing way, unquote. Now, I tell you all of that to give you a bit of assurance on the numbers that Stoner is going to be using and what I'm going to be sharing with you about it. And I'm not about to give you all of these figures, all of the calculations and the statistics that are found in Science Speaks. If you're interested in the book, you could possibly find it online and get the book yourself. But uh, So some of you this afternoon, you're going to go be searching for it, I'm sure. I've already had one uh, text from somebody from First Service. What was the name of that book again? So I know somebody's interested in it. Uh, so anyway... Uh, d- During the time of Jesus' first advent and his first coming, he fulfilled many, many prophecies. Stoner deals in one section of this book, he takes just eight of those prophecies and deals with just eight of them specifically. That's what I'm going to share with you primarily today. And again, you need to stick with me here, bear with me as we go through this stuff, because again, the, the, the amazing thing about it is, is the, 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 the possibility of one man being able to fulfill at least just eight of these prophecies is just almost astronomical to understand. First of all, for a man to be born any place on the world is, I mean, we can be born in Iran, we can be born in Yugoslavia, we could be born in Iowa, we could be born in Mexico, we could be born in the, in the uh, nation of California, we could be born in a lot of different places, there's no doubt about that. But for a particular man to be born in a particular place, again, what is the probability of that? Micah chapter 2. 5 verse 2 says that Messiah was going to be born in a particular place in the city of Bethlehem. And, and again, we could look and say, you know, in 25 years from now, a particular person who's going to have a particular ministry or direction in life, there's going to be a, a science professor that's going to be born 25 years from now in the city of Eloy. Now, what are the chances of that, right? But it was a prophetic message that was given. Nothing bad about Eloy, but the fact of just saying that, hey, in 25 years, a science professor is going to be born anywhere. Well, the probability of any one particular person being born in Bethlehem, you have to then consider the populations, not only of Bethlehem, 
but of all of the earth during the time of Micah's prophecy until the timing, literally, of Stoner's book being written. Now, in the midst of that, he brings the probability of just saying, this individual, this Messiah, is going to be born in Bethlehem. The possibilities, the probabilities of that, fairly simple. 7,150 to 2 billion to 2 billion. Now to bring it down a little bit uh, more controllable number, 2.8 to 10 to the fifth power. Now if you're not mathematically minded like me, 10 to the fifth power means that there's five zeros, okay? So if it's to the seventh power, that's seven zeros. So 2.8% to 10 to the fifth power. Pretty rare, again, possibility or probability just to simply declare that. Secondly, we look at the prophet Malachi, Malachi 3.1. He tells us that before that one comes, another one is going to come to prepare the way for the Messiah. One man and how many the world over has to have a, a, a forerunner to come and prepare his way. Again, Stoner, very conservative in his numbers. He says, we'll give it a one in 1,000 that before this person comes, before Messiah comes, that there's going to be a forerunner that will come and declare and prepare his way. Secondly, he looked at Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, where it says that Messiah will enter Jerusalem riding a young donkey or a young colt. Again, conservative estimates, he says, we'll give that just a one in 100 chance that, again, Messiah would come and ride into Jerusalem. After all, other rulers have ridden into Jerusalem. None others on colts like this or or on donkeys. Usually, uh, as as a conqueror, they would come in on a horse. But he says very conservatively, we'll give it a one in 100 chance. Fourthly, still in Zechariah chapter 13, verse 6, says that Messiah is going to be betrayed by a friend and he's going to suffer wounds in his hands. Zechariah 13, 6. Now, one man, and how many? Again, the whole world over has ever been betrayed by a friend. Well, there's probably, I mean, we, we, I think many of us could do that. But from that friend also suffer wounds in the hands. So you've got to put both of those together because it's the same prophetic declaration. Yet again, Stoner comes off very conservative. He says, I'll give that a one and a 1,000 chance. One in 1,000. Then the next one comes still from Zechariah, Zechariah eleven twelve. This man, this Messiah is going to be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. Okay, now that's getting pretty bizarre, okay, that, that any one man would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. But still, he keeps it very conservative. He says, we'll give that a one in 1,000 chance again. Then still in Zechariah, right in that same chapter, Zechariah 11, now verse 13, that same prophecy declares that that money, that 30 pieces of silver, will later be used to buy a funeral ground or a a grave plot, the potter's field. The strangeness, the bizarrity of that. Again, now that brings it up a little bit higher, but he's still trying to stay stay very conservative. He says we'll give that a one in 100,000. So that gets back to that 10 to the fifth power, five zeros behind it. Now hang in there with me. We've just got a couple of more. Don't let me get you fogged over in deer in the headlights look, okay? The great suffering servant 
passage found in Isaiah chapter 53 tells us that Messiah is going to remain silent while he's afflicted. How do you figure that? Again, he's, he's, he's oppressed, he's afflicted, and though he's innocent, he makes no defense for himself. And again, for somebody to go through their life to be accused and afflicted and to make no defense for themselves, conservatively, he gives that a one in 1,000 chance. And then the last one, that Messiah will die by having his hands and his feet pierced according to Psalm 22, verse 16. How many men were crucified, again, from the time of David until the time of Stoner's book? Well, again, he, he realizes that many people were crucified. This is just one of the prophecies that's given. He gives it a one in 10,000 chance. Now, here's where it gets really interesting. You start taking all these together. Not just one thing that he fulfilled, but Stoner is taking eight of these. He says, multiplying all of these possibilities together produces a number rounded off of one to 10 to the 28th power. That's 28 zeros. Okay, now it starts getting well beyond my understanding, okay? Now, at that point in time, you realize, man, the, the, the possibilities, the probabilities of all of that happening, the one man in his life. Stoner illustrated the meaning of this number, uh, again, uh, of Christ fulfilling just eight of these prophecies. He says, take the state of Texas. Fill it knee-high with silver dollars. And on one of those silver dollars, someplace in there, put a mark on that silver dollar and stir it up in the state of Texas. Then you take a blind man and you set him loose on the border of Texas. Tell him you can travel as far uh, as you want to go in any direction you want to go and pick out one of those silver dollars, but you only get one. The chance that that blind man in knee-high depth of silver dollars across the state of Texas, picking out that one silver dollar is close to what the probabilities that one man would fulfill all eight of these promises, or all eight of these prophecies within his lifetime. We understand that Jesus didn't fulfill just eight prophecies, though, did he? As a matter of fact, he fulfilled over 400 prophecies in his life. But even at the fulfillment of, say, just 48 of them, 48, fulfilling 48 prophecies that were spoken years before his birth, going all the way back to Genesis, that possibility now is 1 in 10 to the 157th power. Beloved, I don't care who you are, that's a lot of zeros. 157 zeros beyond that. And you got one chance that one person is gonna be able to fulfill all those. Beloved, that's a lot of hope because that's the fulfillment of what God said that the Messiah would do. The prophecy candle spoke to us of hope. 
Messiah fulfilled that hope, both for those that anticipated his first coming. But beloved, you ought to understand, because he fulfilled all that, that now gives us hope who anticipate his second coming because of the strong, strong fulfillment of all of those prophecies that we could now look at the word of God with great assurance and understand, no, he said he's coming again. He, he's fulfilled all this. Why wouldn't he fulfill the promise that he's coming again? He's coming for us. He's coming for those that anticipate him, but he's also coming for those that are still in a place of hopelessness, still in a place of desperation, still in a place of needing a Savior. And that's why we continue to throw out the gospel and declare it, because every man that hears that, every woman that hears that, every young child that hears that message has the opportunity, because the Word of God says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so we continue to proclaim claim the gospel. The Bethlehem candle, the candle of preparation. And it's amazing how Bethlehem and the world had to get prepared for so much so quickly. And yet when the time came, they weren't prepared for Messiah. They were prepared for so many other things. The sentence has been given. Uh, Caesar Augustus had called out and he, he called for every man, every person, every individual within his kingdom. He said that all the world should be registered. That's the Roman world, what he had rule and authority over. Everyone had to return to the city or the village of their ancestry, regardless of their current situation. Oh, you're nine months pregnant? Oh, well. You got to travel now that 20-day journey down to Bethlehem because you've got to be there for the registration. I don't care about the kid. You need to be registered because I'm Caesar Augustus. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Now, no doubt, even though Bethlehem was little among the thousands of Judah, there were probably a number of lodging places that were available during that time. People from all over the region were traveling back, not only to Bethlehem, but to a multitude of cities all over Judah. You were going back to the place of your ancestral heritage where you were, uh, again, your, your family was. Now, that had to be a great landfall for the, all the merchants, all the vendors, all the, uh, the uh, lodging keepers. Man, all of these people are coming in. I've got to get ready. I've got to stock up. I've got to get all my supplies because people are going to be coming from all over. Man, I am going to make a fortune on this census because people are coming. They can't bring their own stuff. They're going to have to buy it from me. And in many places, some of these villages, you might have been the only shop in town. And what a fortune you're going to get from this. All of these preparations, all of these arrangements, all of this busyness that's going on. But when it came time for Mary to give birth to her baby, what does Luke tell us? She brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger. Why, church? Because there was no room in the inn. There was no room in the inn. Man can get so busy about so many things. We get so busy, and then we end up missing the most important things of all. And here we see how God came in human flesh to dwell among us, but man was too busy, too occupied to receive the gift of God's love and redemption. And it's funny how things haven't really changed in 2,000 years. Man gets so busy, so distracted. I don't have time for this Jesus stuff. I'm just busy about life. Funny how things haven't changed. Funny 
but it's a sad funny, isn't it? Last week, we looked at the shepherd's candle. The shepherd's candle was the candle of joy. You remember? Merry Christmas, but Maranatha, the Lord comes. Because it's not just the first advent, it's the second advent. So you remember? Merry Christmas. Okay, you all remember. Okay, great. Uh, We'll keep moving on. Uh, Jesus came in that first advent. He came again with that purpose to go to the cross. At one point in history, an incredible and unimaginable event occurred. Heaven came down to earth in the form of a tiny baby and stayed long enough to change the world. As we celebrate the birth of our Savior this Christmas season, may you allow the love and joy that was wrapped up with Him to fill your heart and spill over to those you love. If you'd like to listen again to today's message or discover other teachings by Pastor David, you can do so at theopenword.com. You can also subscribe to our podcast to have updated messages as soon as they're available. Right now, Pastor David has a special message to share with you. Hey, thanks, Chris. You know, this holiday season, I'd like to take a moment to remind all of us of the people around us that may be looking at Christmas from a different perspective. You know, sadly, there's many that don't have a happy family to celebrate with, and depression can pretty much overshadow every part of the festivities. Many people don't know the joy that Jesus can bring them. I'd like to encourage you to pray for everyone you might encounter and be open to sharing the hope that surrounds the true reason for this season. If you too are among those who don't see the merriment of this holiday, please know that all of us here at The Open Word are praying for you. May Jesus fill you with inexplicable joy today. Thanks for listening today to The Open Word. We pray you've been encouraged today and that you'll join us again. Merry Christmas, everyone.